It's the Full Court Press with Eric Franson and Jason Walker. Welcome back to the, uh, you know, to the to the show that we're doing right now. Following the local teams, breaking down the biggest games with in-depth analysis and team interviews. There's going to be much higher expectations, sense of awareness of what uh, we bring to the table. Join the show by calling into 435-752-1069 or text 435-339-0321. It's the Full Court Press. Gross, yes! Touchdown, we did it! Hey, what's going on, everybody? Eric Franson and Jason Walker with you here on the Full Court Press. Did you have a good weekend? Yeah, it's pretty good. Wasn't super exciting. It got a little interesting for a minute there on Saturday. Yes, yes, it uh, did. But overall, nice and relaxing. Had a nice uh, housewarming party. You know, moved into a new place, and we had some friends over, and uh-huh. just, just had a nice relaxing, you know, Sunday evening. Huh. Had some friends over, huh? Yes, yes, I have those. Nice relaxing evening. Yeah. Oh. I I do have those sometimes. I know I do a lot of stuff here. Fridays I'm busy, but I do get to have relaxing evenings every was now I, and again. Was, was I supposed to find the invite in like my mailbox? Or <laughs> did I miss the text? Did, did I not open my DMs on the Twitter? <laughs> you, you can come over anytime you want. It's okay. I won't tell you my address, but you can come over anytime you want. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, breaking down what happened with Utah State on Saturday, recapping the Mountain West Conference weekend. There were a number of teams involved. Um, the there, there were some good and, the, and some bad over the weekend. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll, part of that is uh, Region 11. Some teams in Region 11 really struggling, having a rough week uh, for high school football. Um, there's some... <laughs> Some bad stuff going on with uh, San Diego State. They tried to hold their press conference today to get ready for their season opener, and everybody wanted to ask questions about the Matt Areza stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they had a lot more media at their press conference than they were used to. And so normally it's just a coach, right? But it was the coach and the AD sitting there, and it was always, we were just here to talk about football. Any questions about football? So they, they brought the AD out in a move that was probably, you know, that's one of the less pleasant parts of being an AD is you get to take the slings and arrows, kind of like how that's half of Roger Goodell's job. Yes. They they prepped that, and then they didn't answer any questions. It's yeah. like, here's so the guy. Eventually that- they just get up and leave the press conference. Yeah. So that's fun. Uh, and then also another big black eye um, and racial comments from the state of Utah. This time it's uh, in Provo. In a volleyball game, and it has become a national story because a it keeps happening in this state, and b people around whoever was saying this didn't stand up and say anything about it and let it perpetuate for a while. Yeah, it's like the only positive thing is that it didn't happen in my old hometown, like it has like the last three times keeps happening around where I used to live. And I'm like, come on, guys. You're making me look bad. Oh, my gosh. It's like I grew up in, in some of these towns. So some some definitely some good and some bad over the weekend in this state. Um, uh, but one of the things that I wanted to focus on again is uh, you know, the comments today from Blake Anderson. We'll get to those. His reactions to game – I'm still going to call it game one for Utah State. It was game was one, week zero. zero. 
Game one for the Aggies against UConn. Look, there were a lot of us on this show and on our text line that predicted a pretty healthy margin for Utah State. But we had, uh, who was it, 4086. His wife's prediction, probably the closest of anybody's, who texted in and said uh, her prediction was USU 27, UConn 13. There was there was one guy on Twitter. He's the guy that runs the Hive Sports, I believe. I believe he said that he predicted thirty-one twenty way back. I I forget when he said he predicted it, but it seems like he got it spot on. That's pretty. That's and right I have on. No, I have no reason to believe he was lying. He probably wrote it down somewhere, given he runs a blog. Yeah, who has the receipts? We need to see those. So <laughs> uh, reactions to the game Saturday, the home opener. Uh, I will say this: one of the things that we were concerned about. And I know I made this a point of discussion on Friday, but one of the things that I was concerned about on Saturday was what would the fan attendance look like? Because as of Friday afternoon, when I went on, I I wasn't going to say much about it. I know we had talked a little bit about it earlier, some people raising concerns about an afternoon game in August. But as of Friday afternoon, I looked uh, looked at the USU online ticket portal, and there were big chunks of tickets available and so i was i was nervous that it wasn't going to be a very good crowd so kind of as a side thing i said you know what do you what would you guess the attendance to be at uh 15,000 more or or less got a lot of people pretty riled up i didn't intend it to be that but uh happy to say it was it was a little over it was about 19 and a half yeah, they they just missed out on the twenty thousand, which they usually don't ever hit twenty thousand outside of the BYU Boise State home games. I don't know if they have in a while. Maybe like a Wyoming or Colorado State game, maybe or Nevada. Once Sometimes or twice. Homecoming games. Yeah, homecoming game. But they usually don't cross that twenty thousand mark very often. Usually they can get between sixteen and nineteen thousand. But you know what? For a, a game where Utah State students not in session yet. Welcome back today, by the way, to our Utah State Aggie students. Who are, today is the first day for them. There was a freshman orientation that was going on, but um, you know it was a great uh, showing from the community. That Upper East Side; those are community tickets. That was pretty vacant, but um, overall, you know, people wore white. I thought it was a fun atmosphere. Yeah, everybody got a little nervous after that first quarter, but once things started clicking in the second breathed new life into the program, into the fan base, into the players, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, the the students really came out in force. Um, Dangner filled their entire section. I think there was maybe part of one section, part of another section, but like those middle three sections filled to capacity. And the general admission seats kind of in the corner and in the end zone were mostly filled. Those ones usually fill the best. Uh, especially those end zone, which are like the $25 or something like that tickets that, you know, just come in, get yourself a seat, um, which figures the, the cheap tickets sell the best, and they're not bad seats. No. Um, there's there's hardly a bad seat really, in the house. Yeah, really there's not much of a bad seat. Yeah. The, the tickets that sell the worst are the ones that are on the west side that are a lot more expensive. A lot of times they're three figures, 100, 100 plus bucks. Nice seats, but if you got a family of five or you're really dropping five, six hundred bucks on tickets and concessions and parking, 
It not, adds, not, adds too, up fast. And not too many people do that. Obviously, some do. And a lot of those people, they, you know, it's two or three people rather than an entire family. Right. If you have a family of five, you're taking those end zone seats. So, still, they, they, did, they did all right. You know, nearly 20,000 for the season opener against a not very good opponent. People came out. Yeah, they did. Um, yeah. Look, I'm always going to be one that it's going to – I'm not going to harp on this, but I'm going to say that if, if you had a team that was a conference champion, top 25 team a year ago, shouldn't matter who their opponent is, shouldn't matter the day uh, of the, or time uh, of the kickoff, uh, this, you know, th- that was a, that's a fun football team to watch, and uh, would have been great to see a f- full crowd for that. But it was a good crowd. I'm not gonna say it was a great crowd, but you know, still only can get managed twenty thousand people. It's a. If you look at the landscape of college football, it's that's not a ton, but it was fun. It was a good game. It was exciting. Little slow start got people a little nervous. Yeah, but. Um, uh, the Aggies eventually got rolling and and showed you know this is kind of what the team that they are. They did that a lot last year. Got down, played from behind, got things rolling, started to stack success upon success, and uh, and they did that against UConn on Saturday. Yeah, that was one of the things as I've kind of looked back, you know, both in writing the recap and even during the game. I thought of this, but in writing the recap, I also wrote a little column for today that'll hopefully come out later today. Shameless plug for that. Um, but kind of the point was maybe we really should have seen this coming, uh, because you mentioned they did this last year in, so in, of the 15 games Utah State's played under Blake Anderson, 10 times they've gone down double digits. So two thirds of the time (laughs) under Blake Anderson, they've gone down by double digits. A lot of those by two touchdowns. You look at four of those, or at least four from last year, five now, but four games from last year, Utah State was down double digits. They were down to North Dakota, an FCS team that finished with a losing record. They were down to UNLV, who went 2-10, and and I believe finished last in the Mountain West, or maybe New Mexico finished last. But there's also New Mexico State, who finished 2-10, and and San Jose State, who finished 5-7. and That's four teams... Three of them were like really bad because FCS and a couple two and ten teams. Utah State went down double digits to each of those teams. So, and, and this is coming from a guy who predicted Utah State would win forty eight thirteen, but maybe we should have seen this coming. Well, I think that maybe we overlooked just how complicated it it was for this team to figure out who UConn really is, and that clearly we weren't giving them enough credit. Uh, for the talent and the the transfers and some of the things that that coaching staff was trying to do, but there were still things that were that needed to be cleaned up for Utah State. Uh, it was I'm going to say it was a messy 31 to 20 point win, but definitely could have been a lot cleaner for USU. Gives them plenty of things to look at and work on, but gosh, if uh, <laughs> Coach Anderson talked about the, playing Week Zero. Interesting comment that he had about had that been their first game um, this coming week? If that well, their the way that they played had that been the way they played against Alabama, very very different situation for uh, how that outcome could have been for the Yankees. This was uh, Coach Anderson earlier today. 
talking about, uh, you know, is there an advantage of playing in week zero, and how does that potentially help the Aggies getting ready for Alabama? Well, I'd definitely hate to have been in Tuscaloosa on Saturday and play the way we played early. Um, I mean, I'm not sure the scoreboard has enough digits on it to handle what we would have given up uh, defensively and not sure we'd have gotten a first down. So, yeah, being able to go out and play a game with with a team that, that we were we're better than, than uh, and, and play ugly and still win by 11 is, is a huge help to us. Now, is it enough? Heck, I don't know. Uh, but but we do have a chance to improve and get better and and maybe shake the the cobwebs off or maybe even the butterflies in some areas where guys haven't played. But um, but the challenge is still real. It's still going to be everything we want more. So um, but I, I'm I'm I feel better about playing game two instead of game one in this environment. So yeah, some some issues there for Utah State in week zero, but. Uh, the other thing that he he touched on is that there were a lot of younger guys making their first starts on on Saturday. Um, and as a coaching staff, you can go through practices, you can have scrimmages, but until you you go up against another opponent with stuff that you don't know how it's going to look and how those players are going to react, uh, it, it can be tough to try to predict how it's going to play out for your guys. And now they have the tape. Now they can see it. They can see what they did, what they need to work on. And they did it still in getting a double-digit win, which is which is fine. Yeah, I think you know, there's part of me that doesn't want to let Utah State skate for just saying, oh, we didn't know what they looked like. But the reality is there is very much evidence in that they didn't know what they looked like, figured it out, and then adjusted very well, actually. Yeah, that's true. Outside of that first quarter, this is a 31-6 game. And they took the, you know, their foot off the gas in the second half in a lot of ways. You know, 24 points in one quarter. When they really dialed up and said, oh, crap, we're down, 14-0, bam, 24 points. Um, and if you look at the run game, which is probably the one thing that I'm really taking away from this where there's some concern. But even then, after the first quarter, Utah State allows 3.9 yards per carry. Uh, they allowed 245 yards rushing, 152 of those came in the first quarter. And, like, two-thirds of that came on two runs because they had runs of 52 and 44 yards in the first quarter. Those played a big part in both their touchdowns. So if you're excluding that initial start where maybe they just hadn't figured out UConn yet, well, then they figured them out. Because that 3.9 yards per carry, that's very acceptable, uh, you know, yards per carry to allow. And, again, like I said, 31-6 to game, and especially because um, the the offense was super conservative. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Now I was breaking it down earlier. Um, just the you know the number of run plays versus pass plays, thirty seven passes to I think fifty one runs, which is way different from their normal ratio. Last year their ratio was like fifty four forty six, um, fifty four percent forty six percent. That's not how many passes versus runs they ran. That's out of 100. And they averaged about 80, 80 plays a game. Uh, if you take that percentage, this past week it was like 42-58. So way more runs than normal. And then when you look at the types of passes they were dialing up, 
Last year, one out of every four passes Utah State threw, at least that Logan Bonner threw, was a pass that went 20 yards down the field. One out of every four passes. This last week, it was 13%. He threw four passes 20 yards downfield. He only threw like 12 passes more than 10 yards out of, again, 29 attempts. So, it, and it's way less than what he normally does. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try and not throw too many numbers out there, but basically they did not throw the ball nearly as much downfield as they normally do. And go figure, all three of Logan Bonner's touchdown passes came on throws more than 10 yards down the field. Imagine that. So when they were throwing down the field, they were very successful. I think Logan Bonner was three of four on his downfield passes. And then another one of his downfield passes, which didn't count, was a pass interference, which was maybe a little dubious from the reports I've heard. I've not gone back and watched it. Yeah, watching the replay on that, there was more contact on other plays that didn't get flags. Yeah. But. So, still, like, when they dialed it up, when they were throwing those deep passes, when they were trying, they were successful, but they weren't. They were deliberately conservative. Um, And they didn't want to admit that. I kind of asked Coach Anderson after the game, I said, you ran the ball a lot. Was that what you were trying to do? He was a little defensive, kind of just saying, well, I shouldn't say defensive, but basically he was saying, well, that's what they showed us, so that's what we did, which I almost believe, like almost. <laughs> <laughs> I very much think that he was just trying not to admit we wanted to do as many run plays as possible and not pass the ball because that's basically what it looked like when you just crunch the numbers. Well, right. I mean, it's uh, getting your offensive line in a rhythm uh, with the, the run blocking, getting a push, getting that established, but also not showing too much of your hand against a very, very good defense the following week. Yeah. If you know you can just run the ball, chew up clock, and chew up yards, that's old school football. You do it. If, you, yeah. if they're going to let you do it, then you do it. You take advantage of it. Yeah, and they were successful at running the ball. One thing I want to do, and I haven't had time to do this, is go back last year and crunch these numbers for those games against those bad teams and see if there's a trend. And it's just this their game plan against bad teams. I kind of want to do that, but that's a project for later in the week. <laughs> we got some other things to, to work on right now. But, a couple of texts uh, coming through on our Full Court Press text line. Uh, <laughs> some of them have been here for a minute, so sorry, we're taking a minute getting to you. 5452 says the guy who never invited AJ to do anything. <laughs> I know that, that's why I said that. That's why I said that. <laughs> it's come back to bite me. Yeah, it has. Uh, just like pick six has come back to bite me. Uh, 2305, a question. Where does Utah State home attendance compare with everyone else in the Mountain West on an average attendance for football? They're in the top half, I believe. Boise State's definitely the highest. I think San Diego State does really well as well. See, that'll be interesting with San Diego State moving forward because now they will have their true, honest, own home football stadium. Where do they play right now? Starting this weekend. Because before they were always sharing it with the Chargers, and for a while there, long time, the Padres. It's this huge building, people spread out. just never felt like a good home crowd. And then uh, the last few years, they would drive up to Carson, which is like a two-hour bus ride. So Carson City? Carson, California. Oh, I was about to say, hold on, are they going to Nevada? <laughs> no, not that far. Not that far. They're playing at a, a Major League Soccer stadium. So, um, but, yeah, I would put Utah State probably middle of the pack. Yeah, not not great, but not bad. I am in, I am in the middle of kind of, I mentioned 
of probably last week or sometime when we talked about attendance, I was crunching numbers, population numbers. I'm trying to crunch those again. I'll I'll try and bring them up a little later in the show when I finish, just to show you. And it, it's comparing Utah State, what they have to draw on their population for their attendance versus what Utah and BYU do. Like I said, I brought it on last time, and I had to like throw out numbers that I was trying to remember from six months prior. But I'll have a, a bit more hardcore numbers to kind of say one of my theories. Somebody actually brought up on Twitter, they said that they brought up the population of Utah State and said, well, it seems reasonable they should be able to get like one in five people. Again, we'll, we'll that, talk that's about... That's a lot to ask. Yeah, that is a lot to ask. But we'll go over some of those numbers later once I finish crunching them. A couple more texts. Uh, eight, nine, six, eight. All I can say to the person who had the racist slur at BYU is thanks a lot. It's hard enough for other schools in the state to recruit athletes because of the bigots in this state. I welcome not only as athletes, but as people and fellow citizens. I welcome all... All here we go. Not only as athletes, but as people and fellow citizens. Now, amen to that. Yeah, it, it's a black eye in the entire state. It, it's hard because there is definitely. I've been. I was in denial of it for a long time because I say, well, I didn't see it. Well, now I keep seeing it. And you know, I'm a person who goes off of what I've seen in the past, and I've based that on what I should see in the future. And so far, what I've now seen, actually growing up and living a bit, is, yeah, that there's a little too much of that. Yeah, it's happened at jazz games. We've had some incidents down there in Provo. We've had some incidents up here in Cache Valley. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. And, and after all the, the brouhaha just a few years ago in Vivint Smart Home Arena and all of the, the, the Millers did and the jazz organization and make a big deal about it, the whole thing was, if you hear this going on, stand up and say something. Do something to stop this. Yeah, that that's the thing. That's what that... bothers... Yes, it's it's super frustrating that someone still has those feelings and is going to yell them out in a public forum at somebody else, but that others sit idly by and don't do anything about it, that's more frustrating to me. Yes, that's one of the things. Is a lot of times, I feel like when it comes down to it, these people, they they act a different way at sporting events, and they feel empowered to be awful people. Um, and this individual is a BYU fan. I might assume that he's a member of a certain church around here. He'll go to his church meeting on Sunday and read about love one another, speak <laughs> kindly to one another. What did you just do yeah, at a sporting I, event? God, I know. Like, Disgusting. seriously. Like, you do not have license to be an awful person. Racist slurs or not, I hear stuff I never want to hear again at sporting events. And it bothers the crap out of me. Some of the things. And some of that's here in Cache Valley. I'm not giving y'all a pass for this. It's... We gotta be better, folks. Yeah, and it's not its not the worst here in Cache Valley. I'm, I'm gonna, I don't want to insult you guys too much. Because there's... It's insane. There's some really bad stuff that happens elsewhere. Where the people are a little more rowdy and sometimes a little more inebriated. Um, but it's just... You got to be better, people. You don't have any license to be an awful person, say awful things to anybody. I don't want to get too far into this rant. You can heckle, but you don't have to be crass. Uh, And you don't have just too many people cross the line. They just don't know how to do it. And so they think that's what you have to do. Don't do that. Yeah, they have to be insulting. They have to, you know, if you do like a clever. You know, a lot of times they yell at the ref. And, you know, one thing I always heard at Utah State hockey games was they'd scream at the ref, does your wife know you're screwing us over? (laughs) You know, and that's kind of funny and it's a little clever. And, you know, some of the things the Utah State basketball fans do is clever. 
Sometimes it goes up against the line, but I've never really heard them cross the line, at least as a group. Uh, and even a lot of individuals, I felt like I've never heard it, which is one thing for me as far as never having heard it. I've never personally witnessed it myself. Um, so I've never run into the situation where I'd have to maybe say, hey, Usher, did you hear that? Um, although though there have been incidents uh, when one particular team is in town and they bring family members and they feel like they're threatened. Yeah, like they just don't because like, because fans cross the line. Yeah, and a lot. Of, a lot be better. A lot of times, those are just you know, idiots that are sitting two rows behind and they start yelling things. And it's like no, don't be doing that. Yeah, there's a line. I, I trust you know where it is, and that's don't get personal and don't get truly insulting. And if to those of us that won't cross those lines, at least stand up. And call them out when somebody's doing that crap. Yeah, that, we, that, we, you know, I can't remember. I'm going to butcher it. I'm not going to try to say it right. But basically, evil wins with good people stand aside and do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a real brutal paraphrase. But yeah. if you sit around and you don't call somebody out on it or call attention to get them out of there, then we all lose. Yeah. Let's knock it off. And it, it's a triumph, and it usually becomes a positive story because there's been cases where – you see those stories where somebody stood up, and it makes all the difference. Because then it shows, and then the thing is, when one person stands up, everybody else gets a little braver. Yeah. And they say, "Yeah, I don't agree with that. Be quiet. Be nice." And then we can get these a holes <laughs> out of our sporting events. Yes, that is the word. Uh, two nine four seven. Last text here, and then we've got to talk, uh, take a timeout. Two nine four seven. Uh. Love those numbers. My big takeaway from the game is the lack of passing and all the small, wimpy passes. It's clear they have little confidence in our wide receivers after we lost all of our elite talent there. We will see how the pass game evolves this season. I don't know if that's my takeaway. Mine was just more conservative play. There could be a little less confidence in these receivers. I would understand if that's present. So maybe they are, because last year they threw 503 passes. Dang near a, a record for the school. The record's 504 passes. Um, although they did have an extra game to get there. But still, last year, very confident in the passing game, passed a lot. Maybe they don't pass as much this season. I mean, last year they averaged like 43 dropbacks a game. Not 43 passes, 43 dropbacks. Some of those are sacks, scrambles, whatnot. I don't think they'll reach that this year, but... I think they're still going to pass a lot. I think this time they'll just be being deliberately conservative because they didn't want to put things on film. Yes. Didn't want to get people hurt. Didn't want to have, you know, when you have those longer routes, Bonner sits in the pocket for longer. And I don't think they wanted that. No. Not until he's he's, uh, much stronger in his legs from his recovery. And I don't don't know that I'd call him wimpy passes. I just think it was a more conservative game plan. Because it was week zero. Yeah. And I, I think they have confidence. I know they have confidence in their wide receivers. Um, yeah. They've they've talked the talk yeah. on their confidence in the wide receivers. I think we'll see that as we go along. This game, I can't make a definitive statement because uh, it's a smaller sample size. True. All right. Quick timeout here in the Full Court Press. Love to continue to get your reactions. 435-339-0321. 
before we take a time out, though, just remind you about Valvoline Instant Oil Change, where this week it's going to be hot, like mid to upper 90s and a couple different occasions this week. So that can be tough on your vehicle. Take it into Valvoline Instant Oil Change. They're right there across from Angie's. They have Valvoline Synthetic and Valvoline Max Life Oil for your vehicle, plus to get you back out on the road fast. Uh, and open on Sundays, 695 North Main in Logan. Hey, it's Garrett Grantham with Grantham Mobile Automotive. Just like a plumber, just like an electrician, I come to your home. I am a master ASE technician, licensed, insured, and ready to come to you for your car repair needs. Right now, it is hot outside. From air conditioners to transmissions, I can take care of you. Give me a call, and I will come to you to get your car's AC running cold in no time. 435-229-4345. That's 435-229-4345. Cash Valley, the Utah Wood Stove Changeout Program opens up February 1st. If you want to change out your wood fireplace or stove and replace it with a gas appliance, Advanced Fireplace and Stove can help. Receive up to $3,800 towards your new gas stove or fireplace insert. Idaho has a changeout program too. Let the professionals at Advanced Fireplace and Stove take the chill out of winter with a new heat and glow insert or Vermont casting stove. Stop by their showroom or visit them at advancedfireplaceandstove.com. Elements has delicious lunch specials, two for $30, or the new soup, salad, and bread special for just $10. is tasty and quick. Elements lunch menu is full of scrumptious items prepared with a personal touch. Wood-fired pizzas are an excellent choice that include barbecue chicken and the bee's knees. The fresh-battered halibut fish and chips with seasoned fries is always a hit. And don't forget the fan-favorite Munster Burger. Casual or professional, open Monday through Thursday, 11.30 to 8 p.m., and Friday and Saturday, 11.30 to 9 p.m. Visit the Elements restaurant.com for reservations today. This is Nate Lamson with Valley Office Systems, your home team when local matters. Valley Office Systems is your local provider for all things office, copiers, printers, furniture, and document management. Proudly serving Cache Valley since 2007. Visit valleyofficesystems.com. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric France and Jason Walker here on the Full Court Press. 435-339-0321. That's our text line. 435-752-1069 is the phone number. Uh, 0366 texting in. What does religion have to do with your rant? How about just plain old human decency? It it has to do with... I do understand your point. I don't want to dismiss it because it is basic human decency. It shouldn't have to do with religion. My main point is this guy is on a again we're assuming he's LDS because of the BYU connection. The assumption is he is receiving weekly reminders, perhaps even saying himself teachings from the Bible and other works of scripture about loving one another. Like when you're a religious person, it borders less on just lacking human decency and leaning heavily towards actual hypocrisy. <laughs> That's that's kind of why I involve right. religion there because it's it's worse than just lacking human decency. <clears throat> it's hypocrisy. Right, you profess to be a follower of this this guy who lived a long time ago who preached some really cool stuff about loving other people and yeah. treating people with kindness. He said be nice to you, each other, man. You act like that on one day of the week but not like that six others. That's that yeah. is really infuriating. 
It is. But you're right. Human decency comes first. Uh, five four five two. I agree with offense probably being a pretty vanilla. McGriff looked like he may have gotten new hands with some great early catches, including his touchdown. But then he went right back to the norm and not catching the ball. And Cobbs is a beast. Yeah, I I really like Cobbs. I kind of expected him to be the favorite target, and he was. He had I think eight targets, seven catches. Seven catches. He looked really good. McGriff had some great plays. He did. I I really liked his play. I don't, we say he had a drop. I don't. There maybe, were, maybe I forgot that one. There were two. One. Well, they say one was knocked away, but it looked like it was in his hands. And yeah, there there was should the, have been able to bring. There it was in. the one over the middle. That I I didn't really look too closely. It looked like it might have been knocked away. He might, he probably dropped it. Went through his hands. Because afterwards he did the whole tap his head like my bad or hit his chest like, no that was me that was on me sorry bro. Yeah I think him and I think I worry about Van Leeuwen's hands a little bit from the scrimmages and then Van Leeuwen was targeted like six times although I don't think he had any actual drops, but. Throwing to Van Leeuwen hasn't been super productive in the scrimmages or in games so far. At least, you know, that connection hasn't hasn't well, happened yet. Scored a touchdown. They did. And it was, it was a really good play. It was one of their go-to touchdown plays last year. For some reason, they like to target their slot receivers for uh, touchdown passes. It's a little weird. But it's worked. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> when it works, keep it's doing working. it, man. That's right. Uh, in fact, let's... Let's, uh, Coach Anderson did have something to say about the wide receivers. I know there's you know, some of the questions here about that, but uh, he did have praise for his wide receivers because there were there's some new faces here, new players trying to integrate into the system. I thought it was steady. I mean, we obviously made a couple of huge catches. Uh, both, uh, all three touchdown catches were anything less than routine. Uh, Kyle Van Leeuwen, guy hanging on him, both. Uh, McGriff and Cobbs, you know, toe tap type uh, corner of the end zone touches that, that are not easy. Uh, I thought it was a really good step. We did have a couple uh, drops that, that would have moved the chains in the third quarter, especially that, that would have, you know, I think given us a chance to stretch things out. So being critical, we can get better. But with as many new bodies as we had playing that had not been in, in, in that situation before, uh, I, I was pleased with, with the starting uh, point. I, I do think there's better ahead of us, uh, and, and hopefully, just kind of getting that first game under their belt will, will be will be you know helpful. I think I think Brian Cobb's obviously showed up in a big big way, over 100 yards, and, and, and was uh, was so solid. But um, I think all those other guys, I mean, I might let one or two get away. That I want to make sure uh, in the future, man, we make those plays. But uh, it, it's a group that that we can build on what we saw. Yeah, Brian Cobb's seven receptions for 78 yards and a score. Cobb Van Leeuwen, three receptions, 54 yards and a score. Justin McGriff, three receptions for 53 yards and a score. So spread around pretty evenly there. Uh, Terrell Vaughn, uh, two catches for 41 yards. Uh, Calvin Tyler even out of the backfield, opportunity to catch the ball. Uh, they, they had at least one throw to Sturzer and tried to get the tight end going a little bit earlier on. Liked that. Would have liked to seen a little bit more. But, again, how much did they really want to throw out there of uh, what this team is capable of against an opponent which they should overpower, which eventually they did. And when you've got a really big team coming up next week and you don't 
you may not want to show everything that you can do just yet. Yeah, that that does seem to be the theme, or at least the assumption. Again, the coaches are never going to say it. We just have to assume that's what was going on because that seems to be the only logical explanation for just not opening up your playbook. I can't imagine any other reason other than maybe wanting to not get guys injured, like Bonner in particular, not having him back in the pocket. But that could just be one of a couple of reasons to do it, including not wanting to, to put things on film. And I think in the scrimmages, they did a little more in the closed scrimmage. I feel like they were they they did things a little more because the quarterbacks did a lot better in the first scrimmage than the second scrimmage. And I think maybe that yeah. was there were some people that said it was a little more vanilla. Um, I don't have the numbers to break that down because um, I, I don't have access to those kind of numbers right now. I I use PFF who does a lot of these breakdowns. Um, so again, as far as the tight ends, I feel like it's going to be a lot more like last year, unless Brock Lane is more of a receiving tight end than Sturzer and Buchanan. We're probably going to see the tight ends get used like fullbacks, like they were in this last game, except for you know a handful of uh, pass plays. I mean, the one to Sturzer, it was kind of a. I think they got a first down off of. I think it was like a second and long ish, that they ended up throwing to him. It was like a bubble screen type thing. They threw it to him. Not, I don't know if he was one or two yards behind, more than one or two yards beyond the line of scrimmage, uh, but Sturzer made a good play and, I think, got a first down if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, it went for eight yards. Uh, and Coach Anderson today, I'm not going to play the cut, but he did say that Brock Lane is improving. There's a chance that he may be available uh, this weekend against Alabama, that he could be you know, start joining the, the, the squad for practices this week. Um, I, I kind of wonder if he's not quite there, if they may just decide to hold on to him, ease him into it, no sense in – putting a guy out there who's not quite 100% against an opponent like Alabama. But uh, I know these guys want to go out and play and show what they could do on a big stage, and I can't fault them for that. But um, at the same time, you've got a long season. You need to have your guys available for it. It's entirely possible you don't see Brock Lane until the fourth game of the year because I believe they play Weber State next and a bye, I believe, after Weber State, right? Yes. They have an early bye, and then they play – I can't remember who they play that next uh, week. UNLV, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah I th- that sounds right. So you may not see him until UNLV because they may decide to hold him out for this game, and then they might end up saying, well, let's just Weber State. They could throw him in there in limited snaps against Weber State to maybe work him into a little bit of actual snaps. That is a thing that could happen, but it is also possible if he's still not fully healthy, well, we'll hold him out and they get two more weeks uh, of rest. So... That's entirely possible. Yeah, if if Brock Lane isn't doesn't end up being a receiving tight end or more of a receiving tight end, then as much as the coaches say they want to involve these guys in the passing attack, you have to have the personnel to involve your tight ends in the passing attack. Because last year Carson Terrell not a very good receiving tight end, much better blocker. So that's what you use him for. Yeah, and I think Josh Derzer can. Uh, I mean, we saw on Saturday he can catch the ball and, and get upfield. Uh, Buchanan, we saw him used in the scrimmages. He has that potential. Uh, is he ready for prime time, regular part of the play pack, you know, passing package? You know, I don't don't know yet. But I think that Brock Lane can separate himself in that specific role. Uh, but um, uh, it would be fun to see the tight ends used a little bit more. I think they, with this group of tight ends that they have. I think we will see the tight ends used more in the passing game this year than we did last year. Yeah, and I think that's a possibility. As long as, again, it's going to come down to 
to what we see out of Brock Lane. Um, but overall, should be a good passing attack. Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't worry about if you took that one game and say, well, this is what Utah State's going to look like this year. I wouldn't worry too much about that. Yeah. Uh, 6891, texting in, good thing we have an awesome run defense. Wouldn't call it awesome. Yeah, I think but, there's some sarcasm there. But, yeah. Definitely stepped up quarters two, three, and four. Yeah, there's definitely some positives. Uh, I do worry, actually, noticeably about the linebackers. Um, they struggle at times to step up into the right holes. Some of that was on the defensive linemen not doing their job because the defensive linemen got to do their job to make it easier on the linebackers. Um, but there are a lot of times I was rewatching the game, breaking down some of the run plays that were going for seven, eight, nine yards, and I was like, "Okay, these linebackers are. What? Why is he going there? What's he doing there? He's letting himself get washed out of the play." Um, and some of it's defensive play calling where they're blitzing, and so well, they got to get hit the hole hard. Yeah, and Coach Anderson addressed that a little bit. Just maybe some overzealousness from his defensive ends, uh, and just. Learning and making adapt or uh, adjustments as the game went on. We'll hear from him on that. We'll hear from him a couple other observations about the game against UConn. Love to continue to get yours also. 435 339. 0321 here on the Full Court Press. DD Auto and Salvage is going to pay you the most for junk vehicles. You can get rid of your junk vehicles today. DD Auto and Salvage makes it so easy and fast to get rid of your junker vehicles by paying you the most money possible. Pickup is available. If you have metal, DD Auto and Salvage and Logan wants to pay you today. Call 787 1204. That's 787 1204. Today. See store for details. Back to school means back to massive laundry piles. Get a washer that can handle your busy laundry schedule. Head to Daryl's today for a great deal worth your time. This is Jay from Daryl's Appliance. We have a GE top load laundry pair with a 4.2 cubic foot capacity tub and a 7.2 cubic foot dryer for only $11.07 for the pair. Hurry, stock is limited. See store for details. Daryl's Appliance Service and Sales West on Airport Road. Open until 6 p.m. on weekdays, 5 on Saturday. Hi, my name is Chad Mangum from Aegis Home Health and Hospice. For the last 21 years, I've been providing nursing services to the community of Cache, Box Elder, and Rich Counties. Aegis represents the breastplate of Zeus and is symbolic of being a protector of the community. At Aegis Healthcare, we know you will experience the difference. With our core values of character, experience, and trust, we know that we can meet any of your healthcare needs wherever you call home. Call us today at 723-9000 or check us out at myagis.com. Hi, this is James Stevens with White Pine Funeral Services. At White Pine, we value compassion, integrity, and service. We are committed to serving you and treating your family as our family. We will be here when you need us most to listen, to help, and to provide exactly what your circumstances require. At White Pine, we promise to dedicate our time and attention to you and your family. We invite you to come by and meet us. We're confident you'll feel a difference. Talking the sports you care about. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Welcome back to the Full Court Press, Eric Franson and 
Jason Walker. I say, what's my name? Had a party over the weekend. Invited all of my friends. (laughs) 435-339-0321 here on the Full Court Press. Uh, 0366, number 11 Vons. Played like a total beast. I believe I watched him more than any single player, and I believe he will be a standout for the Aggies this year. Yeah, it definitely will be. He played really well. He did. Yeah, he... He was very active and aggressive. So was uh, Daniel Grishik. Um, and I want to get to some comments here from uh, Coach Anderson today. Um, some of the reasons why maybe it was a little bit tough for the Aggies to stop the run. I have so many cuts here. Now I can't remember where it's located. Um We'll get to that. <laughs> so, Once oh, we it find is. it. Yeah, yes. I, I see it on the sheet. I can't really communicate to you that from across the room. Yes, now I know what I'm looking for. So um, part of it, and I said earlier, you'll hear him talk about it too, just maybe a little overzealousness on trying to get to the opposing quarterback. Here's Coach Anderson earlier today about trying to stop the run. It was a little different than what we expected them to look like. That had a little bit to do with it. Uh, we were we were flying and, and jetting upfield in some areas we should have been squeezing and, and playing things a little slower. So, yeah, it was a little bit of both. Didn't see exactly what we anticipated to see from them. We didn't adjust immediately to it. We were geeked up and flying and really over-pursuing and almost every one of their runs cut back behind the grain of a fast flow. And then we were upfield a little bit, again, trying to get to the quarterback. As we settled down, and kind of started playing the technique a little bit more soundly and made a couple of adjustments, we obviously played a lot better. I think 100-plus, maybe 150 yards of rushing in the first quarter as compared to like 90 or 95 the rest of the game. So settling down and, and adjusting were both needed. And, and well, honestly, we just need to tackle better. Quite honestly, I had opportunities to, to get them on the ground. And when you miss 15, 16, 17 tackles, you're not going to be happy about much other than just the result of the score. Yeah, so <laughs> tackling needs to be better, but you know, uh, containing the pocket as well, not letting guys get through. Because Grishik and Vons did such a good job of getting out on the edges that they opened up these huge gaps for Carter to run through, and, and he was a good, strong running back. He stuck his leg in the ground, got the big burst, and he was a strong runner. He had good field vision, but uh, you have to give him credit for that. But um, got to be able to contain what's going on in the pocket to not let guys get loose. Yeah, well, and see, when you look at some of those plays where they're getting the cutbacks, usually what happens is, well, the defensive line may, sometimes they'll get penetration and defensive linemen or defensive ends. You know, Gretchen Gravans will get penetration deep into the backfield, but the offensive line sometimes you know, maybe they aren't completely dominating the block, but they wash them away, and then there's a giant cutback lane. At that point, you got to get a solo tackle from one of your linebackers. You, you know, back say maybe the striker for us, um, or one of the middle linebackers. You know, there they may have to dodge one of the offensive linemen who are trying to get to the second level and wash them away. And so, if the linebackers either get blocked or if they miss the tackle, then that's a 52-yard run because then who else is going to tackle him but, you know, the safety who's way back, you know, Hunter Reynolds or whatnot because I think Reynolds was the one who tracked down that 52-yard run. Yeah. Um, so when you're cutting down that cutback lane, usually what's happening is the defensive line isn't getting washed away. 
there's usually always some cutback lane somewhere. The trick is to either make sure the running back doesn't see it or the linebacker's filling it. There was one play I was watching where there was a huge cutback lane open, but it was filled by Tafisi. And then one of the defensive linemen was making it so the, the running back couldn't bounce all the way outside. It's hard to describe this without like the video to show people. But, right. Um, it was contained him, right? Forced yeah. him back in. Yeah. One of the defensive linemen, like on the one side, like all the linemen were there, and so he couldn't go to his right. But on the running back's left, there was another defensive lineman. It was um, uh, Tuiaki, Seni Tuiaki. Um, he's a sophomore, redshirt freshman. I can't remember. Um, this is like his first real playing time, partly because of injuries. But he was cutting off the left side by he absolutely destroyed his matchup. And then so there's only one way to go. And so it was a cutback lane, but Tafisi was right there, made a tackle for loss. So that's the key as far as cutback lanes is somebody's got to fill that lane and a couple of defensive linemen need to do their jobs and not just get washed away and allow for that room to run. So it's basically it's, it's being gap sound is usually what it is. Right. Yeah, I mean, the uh, uh, three of the top four tacklers for Utah State were linebackers. Yeah, that's that's the way it should I'm be. I'm going to include Kaleo Nevis as a linebacker. Even yeah. though his name is a striker, I'm going to include him as a linebacker. He's an outside linebacker. That's yeah, what he is. That's what it is. So, and so he had a lot of tackles, too, because a lot of times it's his job to step in. A couple of times he didn't, or he would miss tackles, or him or Tafisi or Vong Pachong, and then that's where problems happen is the defensive linemen aren't being gap sound, they're creating problems, the linebackers then have to do too much, and if they don't do too much, you know, more than they're asked, then bad things happen. Uh, more of uh, how Utah State is reacting to their week one win over UConn. Let's get your reactions, too. If you were there, you watched the game as uh, game one in the books for 2022. Initial reactions to this team and how they look. Uh, now you saw it in person. Now we can react together. 435-339-0321 here on the Full Court Press. But before we do that, we'll have a quick timeout and uh, message at the bottom of the hour, well, excuse me, at the top of the hour here, coming up in about five and a half minutes from uh, Dan Patrick above the noise, which is sponsored by Napa Auto Parts, and that's where they stay stocked up on the things that you need, like and even get uh, rebates on some of the purchases you make, uh, like a Legend automotive battery or a starter or alternator at Napa Auto Parts. A diamond is forever and is perfect to represent your love. For those special occasions, give her a natural, one-of-a-kind diamond as unique as she is. Our exclusive brand, Need and Brilliant Diamonds, is both beautiful and affordable with quarter-carat diamonds starting at $499. We have hundreds of sparkling diamonds at our integrity price guarantee with financing available. An investment for generations to come, Monday through Saturday, 10 to 7, where Utah gets engaged. S.E. Needham Jewelers, middle of the block at the sign of the clock. Have you thought about your furnace lately? Of course not. It's hot outside. Now's a great time to start thinking about replacing it or having it serviced for fall and winter. Advanced Heating and Air will help you get some of the industry's best rebates on a new high-efficient York furnace installed in your home. Or one of Advanced Heating and Air's service professionals can service your furnace for the upcoming winter season. Call today, 752-7272, or schedule a free estimate at advancedheating-ac.com. York, install confidence. 
I'm here with Mark Anderson from Anderson Seed and Garden. Mark, can you tell us a little about your experience with ChemDry of Northern Utah? You know, our carpets get really dirty at Anderson Seed and Garden, and we clean every January. Our timing is, is kind of difficult. I called Daryl, and he was amazing to work around our schedule. They came in and cleaned our carpets. They looked like brand new when they were all done, and uh, they've just been amazing to work with. It doesn't matter who you root for. The Full Court Press has all the high school sports covered. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Welcome back to the Full Court Press. Eric Franson and Jason Walker. Full Court Press text line has been active today, 435-339-0321, if you want to chime in. I know one of the things that we were watching for on Saturday was the play of that offensive line. Some questions at key positions, but with some experience coming back. And uh, overall, I-, I think that folks should be pretty pleased with how how that offensive line uh, turned out. On Saturday, here's what Coach Anderson had to say about him. Oh, that was a good first step. We 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 protected the quarterback fairly well. Uh, you know, he got some late collisions, but we didn't turn anybody loose immediately. Uh, we didn't have guys just flying off the edge. You know, we weren't picking him up all night off the turf. Now it was a conservative game plan because we didn't know what to expect, you know, and we uh, we wanted to make sure we got a beat on it. But I thought they protected him fairly well to run the ball like we did, especially the way we we it was struggle early to move those big, and they are massive up front. It's hard to explain just the sheer size different and length difference. It was noticeable. But as the game continued, we got better. So I thought it was a really good first step, not where we want to finish, but a great first step for us. And to be able to run the ball the last five minutes of the game without having to put the ball in the air and run the clock out, something we really struggled to do at any point last year, if you think about the wins last year, we tended to have to put the defense back out, and and that was a step in the right direction. I mean, I know it's UConn, and want to keep it in perspective, but they're well coached and they were big. They were they were way bigger than we were, uh, and so that's still I got to give those guys credit. Had a freshman playing most of the night at right guard. Had Poulet bounce in two different or three different positions. Um, I, I think it's I think it's something to build on. Yeah, I, I thought they they kept. Bonner clean. Uh, all the rushing yards Utah State was able to accumulate on the day. Uh, I think that's a pretty solid day for USU with that offensive line. Yeah, definitely. You average nearly five yards a carry rushing. That's always a good thing. You got 161 yards from one guy, 85 from another guy. Uh, and, and as Anderson talked about, it, I believe they played seven offensive linemen in that game. Um, Philippe Poule. Hello. He was uh, he was not the starter, but he played almost the same number of snaps as Wade Meacham or Waylon Lapuaho, because Alo he he played some at left guard, some at center, and some at right guard, mostly center and right guard. Uh, he was bounced around. Cole Moats actually played like about twenty snaps. So we saw, you know, they're they're rotating through some guys. They're trying to maybe figure out if Alo may, maybe he's a better option to either left or right guard. Uh, maybe they're still trying to figure out who they want on that interior offensive line. But if nothing else, they have seven playable offensive linemen on this team, which is a good thing to have. It's a great thing, yeah. Uh, and uh, how about Robert Briggs today being recognized as the freshman of the 
of the week from the Mountain West Conference. Ten rushes for 85 yards and a touchdown for USU. What a great uh, performance by the true freshman for USU. Yeah, he may have stolen the backup starting job after Makakona. He fumbled his first carry. Uh, he only saw like two more carries the rest of the way. This may be Briggs's job now. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so anyway, we'd love to continue to get your reactions to game number one for Utah State football, 435-339-0321. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. The PGA Tour is doing its best to defend itself from the Live Tour. The PGA has made improvements, announced a new tech-infused league, and added multiple $20 million tournaments for 2023. But the Tour's best defense isn't its willingness to spend, it's its athletes. And that became evident this weekend at the FedEx Cup. The tournament was decided after Rory McElroy came roaring back to defeat the number one player in the world, Scotty Scheffler. He won $18 million as the first place prize. The tournament came down to the 18th, but the two stars battled it out, the top of the leaderboard for the entire back nine. Back and forth they went, scrambling for pars, making birdies, draining putts. The Live Tour can offer the most money, but golf doesn't get much better than we saw Sunday. PGA still has the best golfers on the planet, and if Scheffler and Rory can continue their impressive play, PGA Tour still be in good hands moving forward. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.